Greetings program, hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie-by-minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is Minute 25. I am your host, Duncan Shields, and with me today is my wise, affable, intellectual, and mysterious returning champion guest co-host, Tyler Nickel. Welcome, Tyler. How, it, it feels like it's been minutes since I've been able to talk to you. <laughs> well, you know. Minutes make up a life, so that's good. <laughs> uh, tell us a bit about yourself. I mean, you told us a bit about yourself yeah, already. Yeah, it's how, possible how... they could have forgotten in the in the interim. They're uh, joining us mid mid movie. Yeah, um, yeah. So it, interesting choice, and I respect it. If you're joining us at minute twenty five here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my name is Tyler James Nickel. I am a, a writer and performer from Vancouver, British Columbia. I work for a bunch of mobile games, I've been a writer for years, I perform all over, and I'm also just a huge fan of Tron, so I'm really excited to be back. And I I specifically asked for this three-minute chunk that we're going to be going through for this next little bit. Oh yeah, and I'm stoked, I can't wait to to get into it. Uh, And so I don't remember if we went through this the last time you hosted, but do you remember the first time you saw Tron? Do you remember if we covered that? I remember. You know what? I don't think we did that one, no. No, I don't think we did. So Um, do you remember? It was was definitely VHS. Yeah. Um, I think so. I remember vaguely when I was 14, we went to, no, seven. Jesus, I'm so old. It all happens at once. Um, Time. What are we going to do about it? When I was when I was seven, we went to Disneyland, and there was there used to be the People Mover, and went through this one like, section, uh, like Epcot Center, like what, no, I don't the know Disneyland, the people... so West Coast. But um, there okay. was this People Mover thing that was like this little thing that brought you through the sky above it. They've taken it out in in since because apparently people were spitting on other people from it, and that's just not Disney. Uh, yeah. That's why we can't have nice things. Yeah, but I distinctly remember there was this one section uh, where you go through a Tron light cycle race. Oh, cool. Um, so you go through that, and like on either side of you as you're moving, there's like projections of like the light cycles going by you. Uh, and I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> like, I've never seen that before. Yeah. And afterwards... My... And that was, that was before you'd seen the movie. Yeah, and then my dad read yeah, so Tron yeah. on VHS for me. And I was like, oh, it was this. You'd like it. And I did. And he was right. Wow. Right on. Yeah, we've had a lot of, uh, a lot of people here that have uh, their first experience was VHS. Oh, yeah. There's a lot. I think a lot of uh, a lot of movies got their life on uh, on VHS, especially those movies from that from that summer, because that's what happened to Blade Runner. That's what happened to Thing. The Thing. That's what happened to uh, to Tron. Movies that didn't do so well when they came out that summer, they got a huge second life on on VHS. Mm-hmm. All right. So what happens in this minute? Uh, Ooh, yeah. Dillinger Dillinger gives Doctor Walter Gibbs a big old zinger, and Walter lays down the central theme of the film. And then Dr. Laura Baines and Flynn and Alan break into NCOM through their ridiculous backdoor. Yes. I, w- I will say, like, compared to the, the minutes that I was on previously, like, these ones, like, there's a lot happening in these couple minutes. These are meaty minutes. And it's even, even in the uh, director's commentary on the DVD, they even say, this is, this is the film. This is the film right here. Yeah, this is, this, this is these, really these where we're starting sentences. to get into it. Yeah. So, uh, Dr. Walter Gibbs in the last minute said, sometimes I wish I were back in that garage. And, uh, Dillinger says in this minute, that can be arranged, which is, uh, you know, still a a clear reference to the Silicon Valley startups. Mm -hmm. And it's such a, such a, such a, such a zinger, such a beat down, such a, that can be arranged. 
That happens in a lot of movies, they say. that I've heard that as a, as a comeback in a lot of movies. Yeah, like, oh, I wish the worst thing was happening. Okay. <laughs> it's like the opposite of, at least it's not raining. You know, like, and then the thunder, I have altered thunder the deal. And... Pray I do not alter it further. Yeah, and I like I like how they're dressed here because this to me is the sort of iconic philosophical difference between the direction of tech in general and the internet specifically, or maybe mm. two sides of a, I guess a boomer philosophy or something. Like as 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 we speak right now, the OK Boomer meme is huge. Yeah, and, and here you know we what? have. I love it. I love it, and here we have two boomers arguing. Right, like, and they're both they're both rich, I imagine, but one is a step away from being a hippie, and one is a step away from being a yuppie kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know. So, so uh, that's sort of in the novelization of this part, uh, which I really yeah. like because you get to see kind of the internal workings of Gib, uh, for yeah, what he's talking about, and he really goes into like how he truly believes that there is like their spirit in all of this, which we're gonna get to in a little bit, but like his calculations of just like this is supposed to be something important that's giving back like i wish i could have had control of it and dillinger is just seeing this as like oh no no the only control you're gonna have is control over yourself and you don't get to control any of this anymore yeah 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 usually i like to go over the differences between the novel and the and the screenplay uh, round about the end of the minute, oh, so yeah, we can yeah. talk about that because yeah. there's some great, there's some huge differences in both the screenplay and the and the novelization. Yeah, but as someone who's worked in like different levels of corporation, you can almost yeah. see, like just in that one interchange of like I wish I was back in the garage, and that's not a saying of like I wish this was smaller or I wish this was like I wish I still had control over the thing I was making. I wish I still had control. I wish it was still me and a few passionate friends on a project that we all loved that we're like working on bettering the world, you know, that magical, that magical first chapter. And yeah. yeah and that he wishes he still had, he still had control. Whereas Dillinger Zinger is just like, yes, you could be poor again. And like, like it's not yes. any, no connection to what it actually means to him. It's very fascinating. You want to go, you want to go back to a garage? Sure. Yeah. You know, your wish is my command. It can happen <laughs> tomorrow. Uh, yeah. And I don't know to those who, those like I think people still hippies still out there in the world, but I don't know if yuppie is. Do you know if people still it's not, say not used without like the heavy twinge of irony to it. Like I if think any... yuppie okay. is more like a self-appointed like oh going out today to play some tennis to do some yuppie business. Like I don't think it's like an insult anymore. I remember we'd go for lunch when I was uh, working down in Yale Town, and we'd often go to Cactus Club, which is a here in Vancouver a slightly sort of middle up upscale. Middle, middle class, middle upper scale sort of pretension kind of place. Really delicious burgers. And, but it's got this decor. But we'd all, we'd all, after the meal, we'd all pull out a $20 bill to pay for our meal. And uh, someone called those because the $20 bills in Canada are green. Mm-hmm. And so this was, uh, we call, someone called them yuppie food stamps. Because <laughs> at the end of a meal, like, I think every person in the restaurant would pull out a 20 at the end of the, at the mm-hmm. end of their meal to pay for it. So. Yeah, you know you're that's in a classy nice. place if all the bathroom stalls have floor to ceiling doors. That's how you tell. That's that's the upscale. That's how you tell. That's how you tell. That's how you... yes, and no doors. Well, you know. Yeah, that's its own. I hope the food is. I hope the food is free. <laughs> yeah, no. This the, I really do like the interaction of like old business, new business kind of thing on this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
well, just I got a little bit. For those who may not know what a yuppie is, it's short for young urban professional. I didn't it's actually kind of, know that. I didn't know. Yeah, the, it's a, it's an acronym. It's a kind of like upwardly mobile conservative person who might not might not even think of themselves as conservative. Hmm. Someone, the cliche is that someone well paid and living life with a sweater draped over their shoulder and a uh, like a, a half calf, half decaf, venti, half sweet, yeah. non fat caramel macchiato, whatever. More like a, a sort of a more general version of preppy. I think like yeah. preppy was specifically like old money, you know, Yale my daddy's a lawyer kind of thing, but yuppie was just kind of, you know, everybody. And then that, uh, that, and they're also like the basis of the economy at the time. And it was, it was also followed by the anagram or sorry, the acronym dinks, which stood for a uh, dual income, no kids. Mm, yeah. So it was like two yuppies together with no kids, with tons of just liquid cash that they could just money to burn, you know? And I think Dillinger is sort of of that ilk, but he's deeper into the sort of executive American psycho territory, even though he's in his 40s at the moment. He's not part of the the, the yeah. 22-year-olds coming up in the financial sector. Of and, like, York. you know, spoilers for Tron Legacy, but he does have a son, it turns out. So He turns out. Oh, that's right. I wonder if he has a son right now. Mm, I, like I mean, it's not, it's not... Yeah, because he's yeah, not, it's not as old as, like... He's not. It's not mentioned in the movie whether or not he has a kid right now, but he looks like if he did, that, you know, like because he's. I think he's in his forties in the movie and his early forties. Yeah, 40s he could. He movie. could have his kid like a bit in. A bit in, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there could be. He could have a four-year-old at home that he's just left with the help, <laughs> I guess, or whatever. I don't imagine he's. Well, if he has the severe eyes of uh, Cillian Murphy, I don't blame him for not being around all the time. <laughs> if they do a Tron three and they have Cillian Murphy in the grid. Ooh. fighting whomever oh i just can't i just gives me such joy just to think about it i really hope that <laughs> comes to pass i With like the new all, disney plus thing i hope all of our minutes have been so dillinger centric i'm very happy about that yeah yeah well speaking of dillinger a bit more about uh david warner i don't i forget if i went into it before i think i did but his imdb blurb he says uh david hattersley warner was born on july 29 1941 in manchester england to ada doreen hattersley and herbert simon warner he was born out of wedlock and often accepted to be raised by each of his parents eventually settling with his father and stepmother his father changed jobs often and moved from town to town david attended eight schools and failed his exams at all of them his parents separated when he was a teenager, and he only saw his mother again seven years later on her deathbed. Wow. And after a series of odd jobs, he was accepted at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, where he was very unhappy. <laughs> Jeez. So it's rough, right? Like, I sort of see, like, his ability to play villains, I think, probably comes from more of a personal deep sadness than a deep evil. Like, I think... He he never had friends for longer than a little while, and I think he he just grew up in an inherently sad situation, and I think that's just etched onto his face. Oh, yeah. You know, he's got re resting sad face, and I think that comes across. He's got no trouble just calling that to the surface, and, and I think it's unfortunate that he's been typecast as a bad guy. Even he says he's he's sick of playing villains, and he doesn't like playing villains, and he's now that he's got enough money to say no, he said no. I don't want to. Oh, but oh, I hate. Are you ready? Because I got a fact oh, here. I, I, you, been, you can't I've, see it at home, listeners, but he is like like a happy cat <laughs> about to pounce. So I am excited about. This. I got. I, <laughs> I just wanted to. I just wanted to save this for you. But David Warner was up for the role of Freddy Krueger. What? 
Yeah, That's he amazing. was up for the role of Freddy Krueger, and then he lost out to Robert England, I think, because of scheduling or because he didn't want it or whatever. Oh. But I think he would have he would have made a fantastic Freddy Krueger. That's not one of those casting choices. That's like it was almost Tom Selleck. You know, like I think that uh, I think that David Warner would have done a fantastic Just job. Freddy Krueger with an unplaceable upper crust accent. <laughs> yeah, no running in the halls, Nancy. Welcome yeah. to prime time. <laughs> oh my gosh oh man that's funny to think of yeah holy moly i was this is a complete detraction from everything but i think that's the point of this podcast but i was literally just before this podcast looking up the history of the uh, matchbox action figure master fx where it was supposed to be like a guy who could dress up in characters from different famous movies and matchbox tried to put out a freddy krueger figure and just parents lost their goddamn minds no doubt yeah, that oh man, especially if it was back in the day. Oh yeah, it was back like in the peak of like nightmare and it was like ages eight and up. It's like mm. Oh man. <laughs> nope. Well, and you can imagine the the commercial, right? Like they're playing and they're with the action figures. I can't sleep. I've been up for two weeks. <laughs> you know, like just oh that'd be a lot of fun. I hear boyfriend now, Nancy. Just <laughs> <laughs> New from Mattel. Oh man, that would be fantastic. Uh, so Dr. Walter Gibbs comes back with a, that was uncalled for, which is uh, pretty close to, that really hurt my feelings, <laughs> which I think is, is very vulnerable and to me pretty cool. I'd trust him in a second. I'd love to be on his team and I'd want to impress him, I think. <laughs> uh, but but uh, Dillinger, not so much. Well, he gives us Santa such a... vibes, so you need to impress him. Deep Santa vibes. Daddy Santa vibes, for sure. <laughs> Why'd you have to daddy it? I'm sorry, <laughs> cause I, I see it. I feel it. I think he's, uh, he's, he's got these piercing blue eyes in this scene. His hair is a little messy. That sweater looks super comfortable. Just I don't know. Realizing how uncomfortable it makes me now if we just replace Father Christmas with Daddy Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy Christmas. I'm Daddy Christmas. I'm like, nope, nope, oh, shut no. it down. Nope. Shut it down. Shut it down. That's quite the night. Uh, yeah, but there's such a good, you see these representations of good and evil in conversation in a lot of movies. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the best ones that I think I've ever seen. Their, their costuming and the way they talk to each other and the, the, like the theme and the theories that they lay down in this really short exchange is really important. And I think it's really powerful. You don't see that a lot in, you know, in a lot of movies, like, I don't know, the Lone Ranger or something, you'll see the bad guy just be, he's going to blow up a bridge or something. Mm. But well, this is them actually talking about spirituality. With his next right? line, yeah, with his next line coming up, it's it's one of the tightest exposition dumps for, like, a plot yeah. point without being a very overt exposition dump. And, yeah, and this movie's, this movie's filled with stuff like that, but this is definitely, I think, maybe even the best one. Yeah, he says... You know you can remove Al you can remove men like Alan and me from the system, but we helped create it, and our spirit remains in every program we design for this computer. And that right there, you know, that's what this movie is in part all about. And mm -hmm. it's definitely why all the programs look like they're creators. And then Dillinger condescendingly says, Walter, it's getting late. I've got better things to do than to have religious discussions with you. And then I've got a note here, much dry, so England. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's like, I can feel you tearing my soul apart. Yes, yes, that's well and good. Look at the hour. <laughs> Look at it. It's, look at the hour. And uh, I think, you know, you know, Bernard Hughes, 
he gives such a great wounded look here. You know, he's like strong and defiant, but so vulnerable as well. And it's easy to see that despite his brilliance, he keeps expecting the world to play fair. And the Dillingers of the world just eat the Walter Gibbs of the world for breakfast over mm -hmm. and over again. You know, but I'd say I'd like to I, I think I'd like to say that I'd sooner wear Walter Gibbs cozy sweater and red plaid shirt and long hair and beard and brown corduroy pants. And I'd wear Dillinger's gray suit like in a second. I mean, I'm a suit man, but yeah, I get it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you are a suit guy. That's right. Yeah, that's right. But but you wear nice suits. Yeah, I go fancy with it. Um, fancy. But no, yeah, I do like. As both of us, we work in a in a because this Encom was started as a video game company, so we can both relate to that. Was it? I don't know because the the laser and everything that they're shooting makes me think that uh, the video games company is an offshoot of their weird original. Like maybe they got started as a, a laser company and then mm -hmm. got huge, and then ended up. Yeah, I don't know. Well, that I'm is not sure what their like, original was. If he's comparing himself to Alan, was Alan making video games on the side and is in fact a laser guidance engineer? Or like, what was Alan's main point? Yeah, that's one thing that comes up. I think, well, Alan's making security programs. Yeah. Right? So maybe he was never a video game creator. Right, maybe Flynn was over. We had this interesting discussion in the last couple minutes about how they've shut down Group Seven Access, mm -hmm. and that I always thought of that as a ladder of uh, a ladder of importance or a ladder of access. Like level level one, Group Group One Access is somebody who's like Dillinger or the MCP, and Group Seven Access is so you've got Group Six, Group Five, Group Four, Group Three. But then this other theory that the co-host of the last minute uh, the last couple minutes said was that maybe there's maybe there's 28 groups yeah we don't know and group 7 is just the video games and group 8 is the lasers and group 9 is the actuarial programs and group like it's not a it's not a ladder of access it's just all of the groups well, that, well fun that enough the company... um, skipping slightly ahead here not to bypass the spiritual thing which I want to circle back to but while we're on this okay. uh, I can tell you the clearance required to get through that giant door Oh my gosh! Oh, I can't even wait. Okay, we can we can go down the the door rabbit hole. Okay, we, well, okay, just just we tell me what, that, what, right? what we get. We get the programming, yeah. the little like, key card. Uh, but you, for that, yeah. uh, that is a Department of Energy Q clearance, which is actually one oh. of the most restricted secret data clearances in the country. That number, that that it's that series of numbers, yeah. It's a Q? It's a Q clearance is what you actually have to oh, have. Okay. To get, like if you were just actively using your card oh, to get right. that door normally. In, in real life, you mean? Yeah. 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 Well, that door, uh, I can't wait to talk about that door. Oh, we're going to get All there. Right. Yeah. But we're going to circle okay. back to the spiritual thing. Because like I, I was saying, like as someone who plays on, like works on games and that kind of stuff, like you see your team pour stuff into it and you can see little bits and bobs and it's like, like knowing someone's like personality and character traits of like, oh, I can see a little bit of like, you know, my buddy Graham in there. I can see a little bit of Dave in there kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Right. When you really, really get to know a friend's work, you can see echoes of their of, of their, their art or whatever, especially in animation or in programming, I imagine. Yeah. It's stuff that's invisible to people who aren't in it, but like it's kind of thing. It's equal to like some animators can do a certain head bob and like, you know, like that yeah. kind of thing where it's like, oh, no, like that's them showing off. That's them showing this like skill. Like in have. the uh, that original trailer for Ice Age mm -hmm. when the chipmunk gets the twitching bottom Scratch. eyelid scratch when he gets the twitching bottom eyelid when he's so 
be so frustrated about something. Mm -hmm. And uh, then suddenly, for even up till now, ever since then, the twitching bottom eyelid has been the shorthand for somebody near the breaking point. But I don't remember. <laughs> I don't. I don't remember seeing it before then. So whatever animator came up with that has been a like a small move that's echoed down throughout movies ever since. Yeah, it's like, it's like Bugs Bunny in when they like would drink something terrible and have like the one bulged out eye and like the goink noise. Yeah, <laughs> like... yeah, yeah. I, to, to get completely off topic, one of my favorite ones of those was I think Porky Pig drinks, or no, it was Daffy Duck when he's like Block Jacques Shalock mm. in in a western and Daffy Duck's the Daffy Sheriff and he drinks that ridiculous drink and uh, it's like steaming and it has like nuclear mushroom clouds coming out of it and he drinks it and he just stands totally still while his hat does a little flip de doo and comes back yeah. on, his, on his head I like that that was pretty funny yeah. and also how dare you but, a podcast is nowhere to get completely off topic <laughs> no way no we set a, a record I've been uh, editing these minutes and like back in I think it's minute 10. Holy Moses. World record. We got like introduce him and we immediately start talking about something unrelated to Tron. These things happen. These things happen. So let's see here. Uh, yeah, I think Dr. Walter Gibbs is wearing the age-eating hippie leftover from the 70s uniform in much the same way that comfortable clothes are the norm in most of the computer games offices and animation offices that you and I have worked in. You know, mm -hmm. We've got those... That cargo short and Hawaiian shirt kind of cliche, but we've also got like, I don't know, just comfortable clothes. Like I've never worn a suit in my entire career, so. Yeah, I actually, as, as if I go into work in a full suit, they do like, is there a big event after today that we should know about? Or like. Yeah, yeah. Or they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, Did you well, just you're come obviously... from a funeral? Yeah, like, what is it? In one of the offices I had, we had dress up Fridays, fancy Fridays. Mm -hmm. We're like, because there were a bunch of people there that liked to dress in a snappy way, and we're kind of like, I'm not down with, you know, a hoodie and jeans every day, but I want to fit in. And so every Friday, they'd give those people a chance to, like, go all out and put on a suit and look fancy, which I thought was pretty cool. Kind of the opposite of Jeans Day in a, in a, in a financial sector office, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in our level of industry, the, the dress code is pretty much, are you covered? Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic! You know, is your is your clothes not covered in swear words? Wonderful. <laughs> Let's see what we got. Okay, so then Dillinger says, "Don't worry about Ncom; it's out of your hands now," which I guess is referencing the notion that Doctor Walter Gibbs relinquished his seat on the board, or sold his shares, or took a buyout, or something. I think it even could just be that he no longer has enough control of the board. Like, listen, right. everyone's on my side. Like. You can rail and rant as much as you want. It's not going to change anything. Yeah, that's what I, yeah, like whatever power dynamic is happening, he's been holed up in his laser lab for too long and the power dynamic has shifted away from him. And as long as he still has access to his research, he hasn't really cared. But in this moment, he's like, oh, well, it's not my bag anymore. Yeah. It's weird because even though he was the creator, he's not in power anymore. And to me, that's reminiscent. One of my favorite things about uh, Egyptian mythology is the god Ptah. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's P-T-A-H, Ptah. And he's the creator of the universe. Mm. And it's like, who cares? <laughs> right? Like, he's sort of the patron saint of inventors now. Mm. If, you bring, if you bring him something that he's never seen before, because he's been around for the entirety of the universe, 
then he's like super impressed and he'll give you like a, a gift. But other than that, he's just some guy. And I just love that because he's like the creator of the universe. But it's like, yeah, but what have you done for us lately? <laughs> you know, like they're, they're, they're powerful gods. We're all like the god of death and the god of the sun because that's, that's something that happens every day. But the creator of the actual universe was just, yeah, yeah, okay, sure thing, whatever. Yeah, and that seems and, like a uh, corporate mindset. Yeah, and that's what's happening here. Like, you know, Dillinger lied and cheated and clawed his way to the top in a very underhanded way, but he wasn't around for the invention of the company, I don't think so. Mm. Well, I think it like used to be he like got them coffee kind of thing, like back in the programming days. You think he started like that? Probably. It'd be great to... It would, if he started as an intern and is now where he is, in some ways that's kind of a success story. Mm -hmm. But he did it in a very morally dark <laughs> kind of way. I don't know. Yeah. We thought like, cause I, I was thinking if he's, cause the age difference between him and Flynn is, is substantial. So I was thinking if Flynn came in at 22 and was just blowing everybody's mind with how great he was and was totally tagged for a rise and Dillinger has been there for 10 years, spinning his wheels, not getting anywhere. And he's probably thinking I'm going to be let go soon. Or else I'm just going to toil here in middle management forever and ever. You know, so he took a chance, but it was kind of almost out of desperation. I don't know. You know what I realized I just conflated it with in my head? Because I saw it on a flight recently. Was Ready Player One. Okay. Oh, with Ben Mendelsohn? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Ready Player One, he uh, plays like the leader of IOI, like the evil corporation. And he started as a coffee guy at the video game corporation. And I literally oh, okay. think my brain like compressed those two characters. Fair enough. Yeah. I think they're very similar. Yep. A lot of shout, shout out to Ben Mendelsohn. I love that guy. Oh, he's so great. I'm glad he's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, yeah, me too. I was like, "What? Yay!" <laughs> uh, in uh, in the director's commentary, they talk about how this scene here and this speech by Dr. Walter Gibbs about how our spirit goes into every program we write is the heart of the film and the small monologue that elevates the picture above just a video game movie, mm. which I think I'd uh, I'd concur with. Yeah, I don't even so know much if I qualify this as a video game movie, despite how much video gaming is in it. <laughs> yeah, like that's what they say there, but I don't think that's. Yeah, I would. I, it goes far beyond that, which I guess maybe is what they what they were trying. Yeah, to say. I'll just directly so. contradict the writers and directors of this film with my <laughs> own opinion. I think they were just talking. <laughs> it's, it's just it's just commentary talk, Marty. It's just commentary talk. Um, and we cut to the gang at the Encom back door. They've left the van out in the open and sneaked up, quote unquote, to the door. To now the they're large, looking well around. Door with no <laughs> the large well-lit door. Park the van right in front of it. And now they're looking around and trying to punch in codes at the back door's security keypad. This was plainly in the days before today's security. Dr. <laughs> Laura Baines and Alan both realize that they're not cleared for this keypad. And then Flynn says, you want to move aside? Give the kid a little room? And this is, I think, maybe a liftover uh, in the script from when Flynn was supposed to be much younger than Alan. Because mm. back, back in the day, they wanted to have an older, beleaguered veteran gladiator warrior alan bradley and then like a, a young less physical quote-unquote nerdy upstart flynn and mm. then because of casting they ended up getting yeah, two people who were bridges, almost did like, well keep that you say yes yep. you say yes 
Um, but yeah, no, I I do always love the MacGuffin, um, the MacGuffin of the magic yeah. keypad of just like no 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 I have a thing that specifically hacks this thing. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so as he works on the door, Alan says to Doctor Laura Baines, "This guy's a little like Santa Claus." And like yeah, you're saying yeah, this magic keyboard like he pulls out a strange circuit board kind of thing with a gray liquid crystal display on it and affixes it to the keypad and he types in seven eight nine eight. I make these myself. You want one? He says, and it reminds me of the easy money scene in like T two with mm. Edward Furlong putting his jury rigged bank card into the bank machine. hundred percent. Like I think there's a a lot of like homemade overlay stuff you could buy a Radio Shack that the geniuses have used to circumvent the high end security. Yeah, what I like too oh. is like nowadays if you open a window in most houses, you'll get like a beep beep beep, beep noise, and just apparently that doesn't exist for the giant door. <laughs> They're just like, yeah. I mean, if you punched it in, we're not going to put off any other alarm on it. That's zero security in this building. <laughs> and that happens later on, too, in the minutes that we cover here. So uh, in the commentary, they mention that the reverse shot where Flynn says, let me through here, where you you sort of see the cameras looking at them, mm-hmm. looking at the keypad. That was done in a whole different area. That was shot on the Disney lot later and then edited in. And looking at it, it makes sense because they're they're all super close to the wall. Mm. So to get a camera in there would be... I don't think they could get a camera in there for that kind of shot. But that's just movie magic that I never thought of until somebody mentioned it. I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, dress them in the same clothes. Get a reverse shot later. It, it is it crazy how the brain just like... Sti- like the brain is an editor on its own. It just stitches this stuff together. Yeah, it's a collaborative... Watching a movie is a collaborative exercise. <laughs> you know, we just... Okay, just accept it, kind of like in in dreams where there's you're suddenly holding a sock and you're like, "Yep, that makes sense." Uh, so, in the differences between, oh, unless you want to go into uh, the religious, do you have some uh, religious notes? Or some, uh, well, uh, some yeah, notes? I just like there. I don't know. It, it's it's a highfalutin note, but I do like the idea that the creator exists in their creation forever. And there's the whole thing of like when we have say creators who have gone on to do terrible things. Uh, and it's like, we have to separate them from their art. And I'm like, I don't know if you 100% can ever do that. Yeah. Like, I, like ideally, I'd like to, but yeah. their, fing- their fingerprints are on it. And you're like, well, this is an aspect of them. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, These are like projections of our psyche and self and worth, and it can only be crafted through the entire life experience kind of thing, where it's like, even, like from a simple joke to a giant novel, like, I, I genuinely feel that once you create something new, part of you is in it. And it just, yeah. like, and that's what, like, the, the, again, like, the crux of this film. Like, hey, these programs, which might seem very detached and, you know, cold and unthinking, like, there's still a creator behind them. There's still someone powering them. Yeah, for sure. And I wonder, like, like Elon Musk and uh, Bill Gates, they both have said, for the love of God, don't create AI. Yeah. <laughs> they've both come down on record saying like don't even do the research on it this is a horrible idea which i don't know man i'm really i'm curious to see how that's gonna play out yeah it's the next minute think... where uh mcp gets a little mouthy right yeah it's the next minute where he gets yeah, we'll mouthy and that's when yeah there's definitely yeah we'll save that for that of the uh here's the, a the singularity is a danger that i genuinely fear yeah, and I don't fear it because I figured that if we created it, that there would be aspects of ourselves in it. And oh, no, that that's why I cre- fear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the whole thing, right? 
So, well, that brings us into the, the differences between the screenplay and the novel, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a, there's a great paragraph about Gibbs after he turns away from Dillinger, but before he says he wishes he were back in that garage. It says, Gibbs turned away, feeling fatigued. He's seen it all before, had watched it grow from nothing, but his own drive and that of a few others, the desire to put intelligent machines in humanity's service. There were now in the form of artificial intelligences the equivalent of more than a trillion people alive. The number was increasing all the time. This was the kind of help computers could provide. How much of the burden of drudgery, rote calculation, algorithmic functioning, and information processing they were capable of shouldering for human beings. Gibbs had hoped for nothing less than a grand disencumbrance of humanity. But to the Dillingers, he saw, it's nothing more than the largest, most profitable business in the world. Mm -hmm. And then later, as he leaves the office, it says, Departing the office, slowly retracing his steps down the corridor, slumped, shouldered, and ignoring its art treasures, Gibbs conceded to himself the truth of Dillinger's words. He wondered when it had happened. Slowly, so slowly you never even realized those few times you looked up from your experiments that came to him. And if you'd noticed, what would you have done? Thrown aside science? Jumped into the corporate wolf pit? Manipulating and maneuvering? That was how a man became an Ed Dillinger. No, maybe I could have found a third way, he thought. There was some consolation in that. Or maybe there still is one. And so that's when he starts, like, unless, you know. But this... But this brings up this brings up two things. That paragraph brings up two things. One is that the program's being smart is not a metaphor. Mm-hmm. This is an alt this is an alternate universe where they're literally creating AIs to do actuarial programs and the likes. That was the central basis. He's made slaves. slaves. Yeah. He's made a slave class, which I'm like really conflicted with after reading that because i'm like oh no you know like all, all all the programs we see in the mainframe are legit ai according to the novel and that's that's uh you know i get think to that data episode you know the measure of a man i think or the was it drumhead no what was the one where he got he was on trial for humanity oh, so you go upper gene roddenberry i immediately go toy story where like that scarred my childhood i'm just like wait every toy's alive so i can never throw one out <laughs> and if i break one yeah. i'm a monster <laughs> Yeah, like what's that? When somebody loves you, scene in like Toy Story two, and it's yeah, like, yeah, the 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 cowboy girl there is going over how she was just left in a box in the woods. I'm like, oh my god, what? No, and like this yeah. is, I don't think I've I've told this story on the podcast before, but like I have a uh, Lost in Space robot B nine, which is like okay. the, like Danger Will Robinson robot. Um, his name a, was B nine. His name is Robot B nine. Oh my gosh, I never knew that. Oh. Um, and I, I like bought him. I was really big, <coughs> pardon me, really big Lost in Space fan. I got him from Toys R Us. And like the day I got him, I pushed the button on his back to make his arms flail and one arm just flew right off. <laughs> oh no. Like just launched it. And my mom's like, oh, like we've only had it for a day or so. We'll bring it back. We'll get it in exchange. And I was in tears of like, no one will want him. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, we have to, she's like, you spent all your money and you saved up, and this was, like, such a big thing that you insisted on having. Don't you want a working one? I'm like, he works fine. <laughs> he's special he's on, now. To this day, he's on the shelf in my room right now. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Because, again, oh, you get so attached caring. to these things. Movies keep teaching us lessons that, like, every single thing in the world. Was the Pixar one like, what if toys had emotions? What if cars had emotions? What if emotions had emotions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. 
Yeah. And then, then the uh, in the screenplay, the difference is 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 huge. Oh I wow! I haven't even uh, talked about the screenplay. So this, well, this the first thing is that there's a scene in the van as they're driving to Ancom, and Doctor Laura Baines tells Anne Allen to, that he better get in the back of the van with Flynn, and Allen is like, "Do I have to?" But he, but he does, and then Flynn pulls out a bag of donuts and offers it to Allen. Flynn explains that it's his dinner, and Alan retorts sarcastically that he wondered where he got that glow of good health. And then Flynn offers again, and Alan asks if he has any cinnamon, and Flynn smiles and digs one out and hands it to him, and Dr. Laura Baines tells them to keep it down back there. And I'm glad they cut this scene. It would, it would make sense if Flynn was like Anthony Michael Hall from Sixteen Candles or The Breakfast Club or something, but it doesn't make sense here. Like, if he's trying to give... Jeff Bridges a burn on his physique. It's like, well, yeah, he looks great. So yeah. I don't. Where's the burn? I don't. Understand. Yeah, I gotta start eating some goddamn donuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, donut sales skyrocket after the release of Tron. And but the big difference in the screenplay, the huge difference, is in the conversation between Dillinger and Doctor Walter Gibbs. Dillinger says that can be arranged, and Doctor Walter Gibbs says that was uncalled for, and Dillinger says. I'm sorry, Walt. So much pressure lately. You feel Ooh. like going for a drink? He oh, goes, no. So much pressure. You feel like getting a drink? And Gibbs says, thank you, no, I've got some work to do. You know, assuming I can still log on. And scene. That <laughs> like, is a terrible scene. That it's, just it's like, ruins both it, characters at once. It's like they're pals. Suddenly they're, they're, they're collusions, they're colluders, and this is just an intellectual exercise, and they're just like, ah, you're right. Okay, well... Group hug. And that's like back to work. the power of checking on your work and stuff like this. With like going back and like, you know what, that doesn't like reflect the character we want. And changing like a three sentence scene can change the whole power dynamic between these two characters. It's insane. It's something that should be, I don't know, studied minute by minute for 45 minutes. <laughs> I like the, uh, when you get into a screenplay sometimes and you realize that it's so intricate and that every line means something because especially when you get a good movie like this or you get uh you know any any good movie when you really start looking at it minute by minute you're like wow every line here means something there's no filler mm-hmm. you know it really it really means it builds or, or you know ideally you can build it like haiku poetry it's just like a 90 minute haiku where everything has to count and everything has to be perfect Ooh. and for those so, of you who don't know uh duncan does write some of the best filthy haikus you'll ever hear in your life <laughs> it's true quoted it's true. one the other day can't quote it here but i quoted one the other day oh well excellent it, it referred to, to something mean clean one. or not <laughs> oh yeah yeah well i think that brings us up to the end of this minute what it's a pretty think? solid minute yeah um so i guess tell us tyler where can people find more of you if they want to hear more all right uh you can find me at dork zombie d-o-r-k zombie on instagram uh, i own it for twitter but i don't use twitter because twitter is a hive of villainy and evil <laughs> yep um but yeah and you can also uh i think i'm allowed to say this i'll say it whatever uh you can find a bunch of my writing i am now one of the uh lore story writers for the game marvel realm of champions uh which is Yay! very exciting we just announced that uh at new york comic-con uh, in 2019 uh yeah super exciting uh stuff's up right now already that i wrote and yeah it's weird i get to craft an alternate universe of marvel characters and it's it's crazy it's crazy that i get to do that that's that's so cool that's so cool 
It was great seeing you on the live stream from the New York Comic Con on the floor there. That was a lot of fun. You're a great host. Yeah, no, they shipped me all the way to New York. I spent uh, that that week in New York. I could do like five podcasts on that, but that was just great. <laughs> now, did they ship you in a box like uh, with air holes in it, or did they put you in? Like, no, air holes like, are for executives. Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now, if you want to get in touch with us, check out more at TronologicallySpeaking.com. Drop us a line on Twitter at TronologicallySpeaking. Send us an email at TronologicallySpeaking at gmail.com or join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking minute-by-minute listeners page. Uh, and I, yeah, well, once I get it sorted out, I assume you can find us wherever you find most of your podcasts, but we'll, Probably. we'll get into that later. Uh, shout out to Pond5 for the opening and closing music. And uh, special thanks to the Star Wars Minute that started it all. Go on over to moviesbyminute.com and see if your favorite movie is there. And if it isn't, consider doing one yourself. It's a very inclusive and encouraging community. Do you want to do a little end of line on three? Oh, sure. Let's do it. All right. One, two, three. End End of line. line.